Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. You're here, you're in the house of God, and there is much that is available. There's much that can happen when we come together and much that an opportunity like this gives us the possibility. That's what I love about Sundays. You know, we know church isn't an event. We know church isn't a place. It's a people, right? We say this all the time. The church is a people. It's a, it's a united uh, uh, front of people, a holy people, a nation, right, that is moving and advancing the kingdom forward. But one thing I love about when the people of God come to the house of God in an environment, in a place like this, is just the possibilities that arise, there's possibilities that can happen. We talk, we just sang about hope. There is hope. There can be hope and hope will rise and hope comes to a place in an environment like this where you believe that the thing you've dealt with or struggled with all week long does not have to have a hold on you any longer. There's a hope moving you towards the things that you know God has for you. And so, uh, but but to, to get there, and once we're in these places where, uh, you know, we're encouraged, we're believing in the impossible, we're surrounded by like-minded believers that we recognize, man, we're all on a journey together. The Word of God is unfolded. Powerful praise and worship is taking place. There's got to be uh, two things. I've been saying this uh, for probably the last year now. Two things that I've been praying out is that there would be a receptiveness and a responsiveness, a receptivity to the Word of God, but also there's a demand for a response to the Word of God, that once I receive it, once I hear it, once it is stored in my heart, now I have to do something with that Word. And in Matthew chapter 13, many of you may be familiar with the beginning of this passage. If you start with verse 1, you'll see what is called the parable of the sower, the parable of of a sower. It's a story that Jesus tells of a man that went out to sow, and he's obviously sowing seed. And as he's casting this seed out, it lands on four different types of soil, or four different places, if you will. The first one actually isn't even soil at all. It falls by the wayside. And when it falls by the wayside, it has no opportunity to take root. It remains on the surface, and birds would come and they would eat up that seed. The second seed, goes into the ground, but because um, it hasn't properly been prepared to receive the seed, it gets choked out pretty quickly. And then the next one, it goes to take root, but because it's not watered and taken care of, it eventually gets choked out. It takes root, but, but there's not enough uh, maturation around it. There's not enough care for it around it. So it eventually, the sun comes out, it chokes out that seed, and it doesn't become fruitful. And then finally, we have the fourth environment. The seed falls on what is called good ground or good soil. And when the seed falls on that soil, it goes in, it takes root, it is nurtured, it's cared for, it's watered, um, it's watched over. And then uh, it eventually yields fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Four, four different environments that the seed is sown on. Remember, Jesus is giving this in a parable. So he's not explaining. He's not even giving you the detail I just gave you. He's just telling you a story of a man that goes to cast seed. And in verse 1, it actually tells us that he's talking to a multitude. He's talking to a large group of people. But in verse 10... In my Bible, in the New American Standard, it actually has a header on it that says an explanation. Everyone say explanation. In verse 10, it says, and the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, I find that interesting. In a gospel, um, especially the gospel that we love to preach, that is kind of has this all-inclusive approach, this gospel that we love to preach in America that has everybody, this is for everybody, anybody can receive this, anybody can have this, come as you are type of approach and, and, and this, this uh, uh, 
this, this presentation um, that there's very little demand or very little requirement to meet to be a part of this kingdom, to receive this kingdom as everyone else does. His disciples immediately identify there's an us and there's a them. In the giving of this parable, in the telling of this parable, the disciples turned to him. And it says the disciples came and said, so this is not the this is not in front of the large group. This is not in front of the multitude. This is not in front of the, this capacity crowd. We know that at times Jesus was known to have crowds upwards of 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people at times. They only counted the men. So if you counted men, one time he fed 5,000 people, not including women and children. Right. So we recognize that there's large groups of people following Jesus. He wasn't just getting, you know, a crowd here or there. There were times he would pack out houses. There'd be people, there'd be so many people trying to follow him and hear his words that they'd be standing outside of the home, uh, different things. There was one time nobody could get into the home, so they had to rip the roof off to get inside the home. Y'all remember that story? We're not talking just pockets of people. We're talking large capacity crowds. And if this is one of those crowds, He's talking to a large group, gives a parable. Then he turns to his few disciples. And they recognize immediately, why do you talk to them in parables? Now, you know, when I was in Bible school, and maybe many of you heard this, maybe as in, in Sunday school growing up, we, we had this idea that Jesus taught in parables to give natural um, uh, illustrations for kingdom principles. He, he, he taught in parables to illustrate a thought or illustrate an idea or, or, or to bring some imagery. And that's true. There's truth to that. Jesus knew how to get on people's level. Jesus was not one that would intentionally talk over your head with this religious and, 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 and super spiritual thinking that, that you just couldn't grasp unless you were well-learned or had spent a lot of time in the temple, spent a lot of time in the law. Jesus... Ultimately, the people that Jesus reached the most were what? Lost sinners that had no comprehension of spiritual background, spiritual thinking. The ones that rejected Jesus' ministry, on the other hand, were what? The religious folk, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, the one that had an overwhelming background in the law and an overwhelming background in God and principles um, of, of God and the Father and, and who their forefathers were and had all this wealth of knowledge, but yet crucified the Messiah. So we recognize that there's these groups, there's these pockets, there's, there's one way he communicated to a multitude. Now to his own disciples, they recognize, why do you talk to them? He doesn't say, why do you talk to us? They say, why do you talk to them in this manner? Why are you giving them something different than what you're giving us? Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered to them. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries. Everyone say mysteries. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... He does, uh, to them, it has not been granted. Jesus affirms their idea. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't correct them. He doesn't say, hey, whoa, 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 this isn't an us and them. We're all on the same level. We're all on the same plane. We're all getting the same manner of word. We're, I'm giving you the same thing I would give to them. I'm no respecter of persons. I, I, I wouldn't give to one something that I wouldn't give to another. Now, in essence, the disciples were in this conversation at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13. So it's not like he has shared with them a meaning. It's not like he has told them something different that he told the multitude. The idea here is not on how Jesus said it. The emphasis is on how they heard it. 
The emphasis is not that Jesus said anything different to his 12 disciples that he didn't tell the big, large group, multitude of people. They all heard the same thing. But what Jesus affirms with his disciples is there will be, even though we all may hear the same thing, we will not all have the same capacity to receive it in the same manner. Now, I need you to stay with me because we're going somewhere with this. Because we have a room full of people this morning. And I'll tell you right now, it's impossible for me to get up here and to speak to the, the plethora of the group from, from one end of the spectrum to the other. I mean, there's challenges, there's issues. I mean, there are things presently that you are facing all across this room. It would be impossible for me to speak to every individual scenario and every individual situation other than by the Spirit of God. That would be impossible. On my natural ability, there's not, enough, there's not enough amount of Bible school. There's not enough amount of seminary. There's not enough amount of theological study, blogs, podcasts, uh, ministers, conferences that I can sit up under gurus, whatever you want to give it, whatever title you want to put on it. There's no amount of, of knowledge or intellectual training I can sit up under as a pastor to be able to hit and cover every scenario that is in this church today. And it, honestly, it doesn't matter if there's 10 people or 1,000 people, 10,000 people. It, it doesn't matter. There's no way other than by the Spirit of God. So, you know, it, it's like I've told you all the time. It's not what I say that changes your life. It's what you hear that changes your life. So I have a responsibility to prepare a message, to get a download from heaven. I, I'm not just, you know, sitting in an office all week long and, and, and just, you know, naturally studying the word. I'm hearing from God. God, what do you want to say? In essence, I put myself in the place of I'm a mouthpiece to you today. I'm the mouthpiece of God. I'm the mouthpiece of God to you today. When I'm preaching, I'm communicating, uh, you know, one, one translation calls it the imperial herald. The imperial herald, a pastor, the imperial herald, a preacher, is one that proclaims on the king's behalf. That's literally what that means. When I'm preaching the word of God, I'm literally proclaiming on the king's behalf. Now, it's up to you whether you receive this today as words of man or words of the king. That's up to you. I can't do that for you. I put value in my preparation. I put value in my study. I put value in my sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Just like I did last week at 6 a.m., uh, he comes in and disrupts and brings a word that needed to be brought that day. And did we not see the power of God move and the Spirit move as a result of not me relying on, well, God, I haven't studied that out. God, I haven't been in that all week. I had to just lean and rely on the Holy Spirit. And I'm always leaning and relying. Sometimes I get to lean and rely with the, with, with the availability of study and, and being able to piece something together. And then sometimes it's just dropped in my spirit. And I've just got to run with what he's given me and just hope that we're going to get there when we get there. And that's a trust and reliance on the Holy Spirit. Period. But when I'm speaking, when I'm preaching, it's my job to prepare as a speaker, as an orator, as a communicator. And, and I do so with natural and spiritual reliability. But now, what is your preparation? Because this is actually showing me that just as much preparation as the sower has, responsibility to prepare the sower has, so does the hearer, the one receiving. I mean, if you really want to title the parable the correct way, is it really the parable of the sower or is it the parable of the soil? Because the sower is the same for all four environments. The seed is the same for all four environments. What determined the yieldedness? What determined the fruitfulness? The soil where it went into. 
The sower is sowing. And the seed is effective to produce a harvest. But the soil is what discounted or compromised the effectiveness of the seed to become fruit. The soil did. The sower wasn't doing it wrong with the wayside and, and then finally got it right by the, by the time we got to the good ground. No, it was the environment that the seed was placed in. This parable here is Jesus illustrating the importance and the value of how we receive the word and the posture that our heart is in when we receive the word. Instruction, correction, teaching, rebuke, admonition, encouragement, exhortation, whatever the word, however the word comes. The word can come in all those kind of forms. The word can come and bring instruction into your life. The word can come and bring correction into your life. The word can come and bring a firm rebuke into your life. The word can come and bring a strong admonition. The, strong, the word can come and bring encouragement into your life. The word can bring exhortation and build you up. There's many different avenues and many different ways, forms that the word can come to you. But what is the posture of your heart? When it's given. That's really what he's addressing. It's not that Jesus said anything different from Matthew 13, 1 through 9 to the disciples and to the multitude. It was the posture of their heart. He's identifying the them crowd, the multitude, had a different posture of heart than the us, the disciples, had. And the disciples, the disciples caught on while the, other, while the rest of the multitude said, yes, yeah, that's, that's a great story. That's awesome. We need to be careful how we're sowing seed. All right, see you next Sunday. Thanks. Where the disciples are sticking around and saying, um, there, there's more to what you're saying, isn't there? There's a, what are you really saying? They come asking a question. They, they had such a posture of heart that we know of at least this far into it that they were, you're not done. I need more. Has anyone ever been in a service, you could be honest, and when you left, you felt like there's, you just opened a can. There's so much more. Anybody ever, I remember one time I was at, a, it was an evening service. I was at a conference and service got out, I, you know, I don't know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, something like that. And I was up to like two or three in the morning. I couldn't sleep. It had rattled me that much. I could not, I mean, I was literally digging. I was like, there is so much more. And I'm taking notes on top of the notes that I had already taken. I couldn't even write fast enough in the thing. And now I'm taking these verses and I'm taking these points that I had gotten in the service. And now I'm digging deeper. And I mean, I just, I, I, there was no satisfaction until I dug deeper into it. There was more. You just, you just open. And that's really what I'm doing, if I want to be honest with you. That's really what I do. I'm just opening cans every Sunday. I'm just popping the top, give you a little taste, and then it's up to you to say, mm, wow, there's, there's something here. There, 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 there's more. to there, you know, We would be here all day long if I could, and I could do it. I can teach for a long time. I can preach for a long time. You don't even know. I was in Nicaragua teaching. Now, you know, granted, you got an interpreter, so that doubles your time, right? But I went for two and a half, three hours. And it didn't even feel like two and a half, three hours. And they were begging me not to stop when we finally did have to stop. I was stopped because I had to, not because I wanted to. I could have kept on going. But because they had other things they had to get to and other things they had to do and, 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 and time restraints, it, it forced us into a position. But the, the word of God, it, man, there is so much here. The, we've got to be hungry for this thing. You've got to be thirsty for this thing. I have people ask me all the time, how do you develop a hunger and thirst for the word? It, you get in it. I eat ice cream today. You know why? Because one time as a child, I tasted it, and it was really good, and I said, I'm going to keep eating that stuff. 
You just, you've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. You just got to have a hunger. And it's not just one day you're going to wake up and say, man, I just really feel like being in my Bible. I, and, and look, some people get to the word out of desperation. I don't know anywhere else to go. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to look in here. I mean, whatever gets you to the word. But you have to develop a hunger and a tenacity and a drive that says, I have to have this. Let me give you a few of these verses. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 in the New American Standard. I'll just jot these down as we're kind of continuing to make this point. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 in the New American Standard. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You want faith built in your life? It's got to start with hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing the word of God. That's where faith comes. You'll find yourself diminished and depleted and deficient in faith if we have a deficiency of the word in our life. On the flip side, if you will increase the volume of the word, not just the quantity, but the quality of time spent in the word of God, watch your faith rise. Watch your faith increase. Watch your trust and reliance in who God is and what he can do and what he's called you to do and what he's uh, uh, possessed you to do. Watch all that increase. Why? Because I get in the word of God. Matthew 4, 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. You know this one. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's literally a living source to us. If I could put it this way, you were never designed to be deficient of the word of God. And that's why you've noticed it doesn't work for you. Now, maybe you, maybe you have learned to live down at that level and learn to, to operate deficient off of the word and find other resources and find other ways to, 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 to resolve solutions. I'm going to tell you right now, you'll find the end of those things before you find the satisfaction. I said, you'll find the end of those solutions before you find the satisfaction. From They'll satisfy, but only for a period of time. They will meet your need or meet your answer, but only for a short amount of time. They are all, they, they all do, none of them have the potential to be the answer in your life. The word of God does. And at some point in your life, you will be moved and forced to a position I need to get in the word. It is my source of life. It is what I live off of. And man, if we gave value to the word, half the value to the word, feeding ourselves spiritually that we do feeding ourselves naturally, right? We eat three times a day, minimum, minimum. But what's the intake of the word look like? What's the intake of the man shall not live by bread alone? Now, obviously, he's not, he, he's showing that there's a value. There's a value there for natural sustenance, for natural foods. But that's, that, that's not what's going to be sustaining you. you. You have to have an intake of the word. It is a life source to you. He created you in such a way and, and, and let's just even take it out of the context. We have the Bible, of course, but it's the word of God, he says. The words that proceed out of the mouth of God. They are a life source to you. It's vital that we're hearing the word of God. On Wednesdays, uh, this past Wednesday, we, we, we've been talking about life in the Spirit, and we've been recognizing this past Wednesday, we, we, we really dove deep into Matthew chapter 6. We can put that up there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, that verse is so loaded. That verse is so loaded. We dove deep this past Wednesday into understanding that God's intent is that heaven invades earth. 
God's intent and purpose is that his will up there be done down here in this realm, in this environment. And you and I should be seeking the kingdom and bringing the kingdom in every area of life, every arena of life. If it's twisted, if it's backwards, if it's mismanaged, if it's out of sync, out of alignment, it should be brought into heaven's alignment. Now, the context for this is prayer. What hope do we really think we have of bringing heaven if we're not seriously, intentionally seeking the Lord in prayer? Now, I know a lot of times we, we, we say, you know, what are, what are ways that you can grow up spiritually? Read your Bible and pray every day. And I think it's a song, right? And then a kid's song. You will grow, 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 right? A lot of truth in that. Read your Bible and pray every day. But, but let me just package them together. What do you think we're doing when we're praying? We put more emphasis on talking to God rather than hearing from him. Prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is literally the context, is literally the environment by which we seek his will, hear from heaven, and bring his will to earth. And I get very few amens on that because prayer is our vent session. Prayer is when we complain to God. Prayer is when we religiously complain. It's our justification for complaining. It's our unloading to God all the problems and struggles and issues in our life. And then we don't spend the time to say, Father, what is your will in this? What is your plan? How do you want me to bring your will here? But for Jesus, prayer was not a vent session. I mean, when we do get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life, the few times, because a lot of times he's off by himself, disconnecting from the things of the world, disconnecting from the needs of the world, not, not to get away because he's tired of them. He's getting away so he can get an answer for them. That's different. If your prayer closet is what is shielding you from the world rather than what is allowing you to impact the world, you're using it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Your prayer closet is where I go to disconnect from the noises of society so that when I come back out, I can change every noise and every distraction and every complaint and every struggle and every challenge. We can really disrupt the things of the world with heaven. And that's what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus did not pray for Lazarus. And I, you know, our, 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 our little verse, John eleven thirty five, and Jesus wept. And we think Jesus wept because his friend died. Come on, I mean, really? Go back, we got this is why we have to read the Bible. Jesus wept because he was nearing the point of going to the cross. And he's done numerous miracles, signs, and wonders, and they still disbelieve that he has the capacity to raise that man out from the dead. That's why he wept. When he went and talked to God, he didn't say, God, he didn't say, Father, please raise my friend from the dead. Please please bring him back to life. He's got so much more life to live. He, He said, I know what your will is, but for the sake of all those around, And then he spoke to Lazarus. Didn't pray about it. He spoke to him and said, Lazarus, come forth. Spoke to the situation. We're getting a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life here. He's hearing from heaven. Even when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he knows the destruction, he's having a conversation with the Father. If there's any way that this cup can pass, but what does he say? Not my will. Isn't that amazing? That prayer for Jesus was where he went to align himself with the will of the Father. 
Jesus did not treat prayer as a vent session. Jesus did not treat prayer as a way to unload all his problems off on God and then leave with, with no answers. Prayer was where, God, where he went to align himself with the will, to hear from heaven and say, if this is still your will, this is where I want to be. If there's any other way, prayer is where you're going to let me know that. Do you see that? In prayer. And then he went back to his sleeping disciples. Can't you just watch and pray? Because prayer is what's going to align you with the will of the Father. Prayer is me seeking him and then hearing from heaven. Are we really spending time hearing from heaven? What's the point? The point is I've got to have a posture of hearing. The seed's being sown. But I've got to be in a posture of, God, what are you saying? God, what are you saying? Now listen to what he says here. He keeps on going here in Matthew chapter 13. We got to live off this bread. We understand prayer is the context by which we hear from heaven so that we can align ourselves with his purpose and his plan. We recognize that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Continuing on in Matthew chapter 13. Go back to verse 11, Jesus answered, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries. Now that's an interesting word that he's letting us know. There are some things that are hidden. I thought he was the revealer. I thought he was the truth bringer, the truth bringer and the truth giver, right? I thought he was the one that would be the light that would shine among men and, and, and that we would all know and that he would come to reveal and he'd come to lead us and guide us. And now he's using an interesting word. He says, there are mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He says, to you it has been granted, but to them it has not been granted. Now we know that God is not a respecter of persons. We know that God wouldn't give access to one that he wouldn't give to another. So again, this is not on the part of the speaker, the sower. This is on the part of the receiver. Why has it not been given them? Why has it not been granted them? For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. These verses can sound difficult. These verses can sound like, man, what a rude God. That he would take stuff away from people that hardly have anything. And he would give an abundance to people that have more. I mean, what, what? These, do, these do not sound like, on the surface, do not sound like kingdom principles. It doesn't sound like it's in line with his nature and with his character. That he would withhold from those that have hardly anything and that he would overwhelm and give to those. I mean, doesn't the word talk to us about uh, uh, moderation? Doesn't, the, doesn't God's principles, kingdom principles tell us about having more, having too much and, and, and the overwhelming? I mean, why would God operate that way? But we've got to dive into this. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. So we've always used Jesus spoke in parables to illustrate spiritual realities, right? That's the little Sunday school churchy term that we give you. Let's look at Jesus's term. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart, here it is, this is the key, for the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. 
Why is he speaking in parables? Why does his teaching contain mysteries, hidden truths, things that have elements of secrecy, that it's not because this is for you and this is not for you. It is the posture of the hearer. It's the posture of the heart. Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to reveal everything to everyone, regardless of whether they want it or not. The posture of your heart as the word is being communicated, as the word is being taught, as the word is being given, whether you're hearing it, whether you're, you're, you're in a service, whether you're reading it, whether it's something you're listening to, whether it's in the word of God as you're reading it, the posture of your heart determines everything when it comes to the fruitfulness of the seed that is sown. It's the posture of the heart. In essence, you could say it this way. It is actually God's grace and God's mercy that they do not see or hear a truth that they are not ready to receive and apply. When you hear, you've heard us say this a million times, when you hear something preached, something taught, you what? Immediately become responsible for that. And what Jesus is saying is they have blinded their hearts. They have blinded their eyes. And out of my grace and, grace and mercy, I will not reveal a truth to them that they are not ready to walk out and do. Now, his disciples were in a different category, weren't they? The multitude didn't sacrifice all to follow Jesus. The multitude didn't leave homes and families and jobs, occupations familiarity, comfort, and convenience, did they? No, the disciples did. And eventually they would what? Give their very own lives for the kingdom of God. And so he says what? To you. Let me put it this way. Your life will never exceed, your, your alignment with the purpose of God, will never exceed the investment you place on it. Your alignment with the purpose of God will never exceed the value and the investment you place on it. Uh, how, can I, how can I say this? Let me give you an example. When 2020 uh, happen and, and, and the shutdowns and the quarantining and, and you know, uh, restaurants closing, businesses closing, all these different things, right? We started a habit that we still do to this day in our home. It's called DoorDash. Y'all familiar with DoorDash? I'm being serious. Y'all familiar with DoorDash? Who's familiar with DoorDash? Okay, if I need to preach on DoorDash, I'll preach on DoorDash. DoorDash is a service where you can literally, through your phone, order food from almost anywhere in town. And somebody will pick it up and bring it to you. This will also happen with Publix. You can also do this with Target and Walgreens. I'm being serious right now. And just in case there's anyone that doesn't know what, this, what I'm talking about. There's very little I have to do on my part. Mm, come on. There's very little I have to do on my part to receive the same result. So, you know what I've found myself? I've found myself hungry. Just not hungry enough to prepare a meal. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I found myself hungry, just not hungry enough to pull stuff out of the fridge and burn up the stove and, and take time to heat the thing up and mix all the ingredients. I found myself hungry enough to let somebody else do all the preparation while I remain in my comfort, while I don't have to get up off my chair. They don't even, I don't even have to greet the person at the door. They drop it off at my doorstep. I don't even have to talk to strangers. 
I'm being serious, but many people in the church have treated God's Word like DoorDash. And they come to church and they expect somebody else to prepare the meal and to serve it on a hot plate, but they won't do the work to come out of their comfort and out of their convenience. And they think they're getting the same level and the same quality rather than what would it look like if you got up, went to the kitchen, dug in the Word, pulled out the ingredients, studied it, sewed it, stored it, and then produced that in your life. The last time I checked, Anchor Faith Church is not on DoorDash. I mean, I get asked all the time, why don't y'all live stream? And in a consumeristic society, I don't need to lend any more to our mindset that I'm a part of when I'm just really not. And we record it because we do believe it's important for the word to get out. But there's something about, one, watching a recording, and two, watching it. As it's happening. And tonight I will watch the Super Bowl as it's happening. But I would be very mistaken. And, 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 and I don't have a team. I don't have a dog in the hunt. I mean, I, I, don't, got, I don't got anything. You know, uh, anybody I was rooting for is out. I really could care. I, I really don't have. I might not even watch it. It's just. <laughs> I, I, I may not even. I, whatever. Give it to Matthew Stafford. He's from Dallas, Texas, and he's a Georgia Bulldog. So give give it to him. That's about all the skin in the game that I have on this thing. It'd be very uh, uh, mistaken on my part to think I'm just as much a part of any individual on that field watching from a thousands of miles away. I remember when... I'm going to bring it up, and you're just going to have to forgive me. I remember when Tom Brady came back on the Atlanta Falcons. And I was teaching a Kingdom Institute class that night, and I got out, and it said third quarter, 28 to 3. Third quarter. And, and so I raced home, and I was like, man, are you serious? They're getting blown out like this. No way. Tom Brady ain't going to. He's quitting. He's retiring. That's it, you know. And, and so I got home, and I put on a little bit, and they were still playing horrible. This is in the third quarter, still playing horrible. And so I turned it off. And I checked back periodically, and they scored. And then they scored again. And then they scored again. Patriots did. And I, this is literally what I thought to myself. They're winning because I'm not watching And the whole, I, I'm dead serious. I literally thought that to us. And, and I said, it, it, I, I, I'm playing a role with it. I mean, if I turn this thing off, they're going to start losing. I know what's going to happen. I know. If the second I turn this TV on and I get, get excited, then they're going to lose. I said, I'm not. And they won because I didn't turn the TV on. For every Patriot Tom Brady fan in the room, I'm the reason why. For every Falcon fan. You can blame it on me. I'm the reason why your Falcons didn't come back because I refused to turn that TV back on. I was playing a role, man. I was involved. I was a participator. I love it. I love when people say, I love it. it's because I wore his jersey. No, it's because they train. It's because they play football. It's because they ran the right plays. It's because they made mistakes and they did what. We have no skin in the game. Let's just get this to our heads. And so we, we treat the word of God the same way. So he says this multitude, they, they don't have skin in the game. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. And in in essence, he said, their hearts have grown dull. He never says anything was wrong with the sower. Never says anything was wrong with the seed. He says, is that soil, man? Why do I speak to them this way? Why do I speak to you 
I'm not speaking to you any different. You've just put yourself in a posture to receive differently than them. I, I, he, he says, I, I'm not telling them anything different. But I, I don't cast pearls before swine. And so he spoke in a way, mysteries of the kingdom that determined how bad do you want it? I mean, anybody in that multitude could have approached Jesus and said, hey, can you explain this? There's more to what you're saying. I need to know where you're going with this. But yet it was his disciples that had forsaken all, that had made the sacrifices, that had made the investment, that had cut the things out of their lives that would hinder them following God, and they made their pursuit of the kingdom, even though they didn't even really know what was going on. They made the pursuit of their kingdom the, the, the forefront. I think we've got this in the, the passion translation. The passion translation. Are we hungry enough to prepare the meal? Or are we just hungry enough to let someone else do it and serve it to us? I'm just going to read this to you in the passion. It's just powerful the way it portrays it. Verse 10, his disciples approached Jesus and asked, why do you always speak to people in these hard-to-understand parables? He explained, you've been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they have not. Man, that, that statement right there, the intimate experience of insight into, man, it's dangerous when we give intimacy to things that we haven't shown the value for. That's why sex before marriage doesn't work. Because you're giving something that should only be given once we have met certain criteria. Once we have, once we have proven a certain devotion. You see what I mean? Jesus is, is very, you've got to keep these things in the right order. Show the sacrifice, then you will yield the intimacy. The intimate experience of insight into the hidden mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they have not. For everyone who listens with an open heart. Have you noticed that people listen, but maybe they don't hear? Every parent can wave your hand. Every parent can wave your hand. They're listening, but they're not hearing. I do that with Camden all the time. Did you hear what I did? you hear what I said? <laughs> I repeat myself with an emphasis on hear. Not just one ear and out the other. But everyone that listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. We've all been in places where we have had to stop and say, God, I, I don't know your will on this situation. Anybody ever read the Bible and maybe didn't understand a particular verse? Yeah. Absolutely. You know what? You know, I heard my pastor say this recently. One of the best things you can do if you're reading a verse, let me just give you some practical Bible study, Bible interpretation. If you're reading a verse that you don't understand, stop reading it and move on. Yeah, I said stop reading it and move on. Because his revelation is progressive. Maybe it's just not for right now. But you'll come back to that one day I mean, I've read the Bible from cover to cover now going on, you know, 15 years. I don't say that braggadociously. I say that because that, that, that's, that's an active practice in my life to read the Bible from January 1 to December 31, from Genesis to Revelation in some way, shape, or form. Uh, it, it's a value in my life to be in the Word. Maybe I don't do it every single day, but I do my best to get caught up as much as I can. Just going to be honest with you. There are, there are 24-hour periods of time that I didn't open my Bible. Okay, you got me? Now I'm on your level. Y'all feel better now? 
But I don't let many days go by because it's my life source. But yeah, there's days I'm busy. There's days that it's like, oh man, I just, I'm human. If you think I sit in an office and pray and read a Bible all day long, you don't have a clue what pastors do. I got to make time just like you got to make time. But there's times where I read passages year after year after year, just go right on through. But then all of a sudden, one year, that verse just came alive. It's like, I've never seen that before. Then there's times where I've gotten revelation from a verse, read it again another year, three or four years later, and get a completely different revelation. The revelation I got from Matthew chapter 13 this week, I'd never seen before. What I'm telling you now. And I've ministered on Matthew 13 numerous times. It's one of my favorite passages. What am I saying? It's progressive. Don't get hung up on, I got to know, I got to know, I got to He will reveal. He will reveal. It's progressively revealed, it says. And sometimes there's something else he needs you to know before he reveals this. I was just listening to one of my pastor's messages and he said he was counseling someone on uh, marriage divorce and remarriage and they were just hung up on some things concerning divorce and getting remarried and things like that and God told him he said stop talking to him about divorce and remarriage spend four weeks talking to him about the love of God because if you don't even have a context for love and the love of God you'll never understand marriage divorce and remarriage it won't work for you so sometimes we're trying to get ahead and like I don't understand why well we need to come back here and we need to set a better foundation You see what I'm saying? It's progressive. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open heart, an open teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they will, that they have, will be taken from them. Now it makes more sense, doesn't it? That the Pharisees and the Sadducees Even the level of knowledge they thought they had attained to went to nothing because they didn't have an open, teachable heart to receive him as the Messiah and to grow in the things of the kingdom of God. And they rejected and refused everything that Jesus brought to them. What's he talking about? Posture of the heart. He says, I'm not telling them anything different than I'm telling you. They're just receiving it differently than you're receiving it. Verse 13, that's why I teach using parables. Because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. They never discover it. I mean, there are some people, I mean, you can read this on a scholarly level. You can read this on an intellectual level, on a theological level, on a desire to know natural knowledge, but we know the word of God tells us this word is not naturally discerned, right? It's spiritually discerned. There are some people, they only read the Bible to establish arguments against it. So guess what? Truth is not going to be revealed to you. And you might gain some knowledge, you might gain some head capacity, some cognitive capacity, but you're not going to gain the spiritual discernment and understanding of what, the, of what God is really trying to get across. And so therefore, even what you have will be taken away. Although they will listen to me, they will never fully perceive the message I speak. And this is all prophetic because the prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand a thing I say. They look and pretend to see. I mean, have you noticed how many times Pharisees and Sadducees followed Jesus around? I mean, if you hated the man so much, then don't go see him. You know, when I was growing up in high school there, you know, I, I, I was big into music. I played music. I, I played um, in a band, and we traveled, and we played concerts and shows and recorded and did all that stuff. And, and, and you know, especially in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas, uh, you know, you, you'd get all kinds of groups, all kinds of bands. And you know what? There were some bands that I hated. There's some bands I just didn't like. I, just, I had no care for. And I might get invited. Hey, do you want to go see this concert? you want to go see it? You know what? I didn't go. Because I didn't like it. I mean, what, what kind of 
What kind of person follows people around just to hear stuff that they know they're not going to agree with? I mean, that's some level of commitment for these Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, what's the, what's the problem? It's the posture of their heart. It's their posture of their heart. to re- They weren't hearing anything different than anybody else was hearing. It was the posture of their heart not to receive, not to draw, not to really know and understand and live out. Is this making sense? Verse 14. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Verse 15, their minds are dull and slow to perceive. Their ears are plugged and are hard of hearing, and they have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear and open their minds to understand. Then they would turn to me, and I would instantly hear them, heal them, heal them. So look what he says in verse 16. But blissful are your eyes, for they see. Delighted are your ears, for they are open to hear all these things. Many prophets and godly people yearned to see these days of miracles that you have been favored to see. They would have been given, they would have given everything to hear the revelation you've been favored to hear. It's kind of like what we tell our kids. I only hope to have what you have. If you don't know this about me, I love shoes. I've got a lot of shoes. I love shoes. I'm a shoe guy. And growing up, I wasn't allowed to have the shoes that I wanted to have. I wasn't allowed to. My parents didn't. And so, you know, I, I get Camden nice shoes. I mean, I, I, I like him to have nice stuff. And when he runs around in the grass and gets them all dirty, it makes me, I'm like, I, I would have loved to have the shoes that you have. We bought him a pair of shoes one time, and he said he, well, I don't force them on him. You know, I mean, you know, not too hard, I, but... <laughs> You know, we I, we I bought him. We bought him a pair of shoes before the school year started. He wore them on the first day of school, and I don't know if they made fun of him or, or what happened. But he said, "I'm never wearing those shoes again," and would never wear them. And I'm thinking, I would have loved. I, I mean, if I could get my foot in there, I'd wear them right now. You don't know what you have. You don't know what you have, and he's he's telling disciples. You don't know what you have. You know why Isaiah prophesied that? Because Isaiah and Jeremiah, both these two prophets, they were given a very difficult assignment. (laughs) Oh, you don't want to be Isaiah or Jeremiah. They were told beforehand by God, they will not receive a word you have to say, but you're going to preach it anyways. Now, if God told me that about Valdosta, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I might have obeyed, but if he said, you're going to go to Valdosta and not a person's going to listen to you, you're not going to grow, you're not going to do nothing, I just need you to communicate it so I can say I've communicated. You ever done that with somebody before? I'm telling you so you know that I'm, I know you're not going to receive it, but I've just got to tell you. So I've done my part in communicating. And that's what he did with Isaiah and Jeremiah. And that's why Isaiah prophesied. They hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't really see. Because the posture of their heart is to reject and push back on everything we're giving them. And that's why he says, guys, you don't understand. Those those, those prophets of old, they would have loved to see. Because not only do you have words, but you have signs following the teaching of the word to confirm the word that I just gave you. So even if you wanted to question a word, you've got a miracle, you've got a sign, you've got a wonder, you've got a dead man raising, you've got a storm stopping, you've got a fig tree dying, you've got sickness being cured, you've got uh, demons being rebuked. You've, see your, you've got physical representation of what I'm telling you. They didn't have that in Isaiah and Jeremiah's day. They just had to go out and communicate and go out and preach knowing that nobody, and eventually they would give their life for it that they'd be rejected 
time after time. That they would be accused and rebuked and mocked and made fun of, but they had to keep pursuing. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I got to tell you. And so he says, you you don't know what you have access to now. Go to John chapter 12 real quick. We'll close out here. John chapter 12, verse 36. I can go ahead and have the worship team come. You can get me started in that direction. I think we'll probably pick back up with this next Sunday. Dive into this. There's still so much more to say, but we've got to lay this foundation. What's the posture of our heart? Guys, it's what you got to understand about God. We know we talk about God as the revealer. But God is also a concealer. There's truth that he's revealed and will reveal and is revealing. There's also truth he's concealing. Not to keep it from you, but that you're going to have to show a pursuit to find it. John chapter 12, verse 36, out of the New American. While you have the light, believe. In the light. He says, while I'm here, believe in me. While I'm living among you, while while I've made it easy for you to believe in me, you understand that, that, you know, it might have been awesome to live in the days of the disciples and the apostles and to walk with Jesus, but you and I, our faith is strengthened because we believe even though we haven't seen. Isn't that what he told Thomas? You believe because you've seen the holes in my hands and the, 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 the mark in my side. But, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And that's you and I. We are the blessed because we haven't seen. Yet we still believe. He says, while the sun or while the light is with you, believe. 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 So that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke. And watch this. He went away and hid himself from them. Isn't that interesting? Believe while you have the light with you. And then he what? Conceals himself. Look at this in verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them. Yet they were not believing in him. Isn't that amazing? What's the point? You've got to set yourself in a posture to believe before you hear. See, when you hear, it'll only reveal the posture of your heart. If your po- if the posture of your heart is to reject when you hear it, you'll reject it. But if the posture of your heart is to believe and be teachable and yielded and submitted, then when you hear, you'll yield and you'll receive and you'll submit. What's the posture of our heart? We've got Kingdom Rise coming up again this weekend, February 18th and 19th, Friday night, 7 p.m. Saturday night, 6 p.m. And as we're diving into these truths, don't just come to come. Come with the posture of heart to know to be receptive and responsive, to be teachable, to recognize that the soil of my heart is what determines the yieldness, the yieldedness and the fruitfulness of the fruit. It's the soil. It's what posture is my heart in. I see a lot of teens, maybe preteens, maybe young adults. Man, get the posture, get the soil of your heart there now. I tell you what, the older we get, the more firm in our ways we become, don't we? But there's something about a yielded soil, a yielded heart. And if you'll get pliable young, you'll stay pliable when you're old. But if you get hardened, it can be hard to break that up down the road years down the road and experience and trauma and challenge it will only work to convince you more and more this isn't true 
or to accept a version of it that's different than what God intended for your life. You know, I always say it's, it's, it's more dangerous in, in my line of work, if you'll allow me to say that. It's always more dangerous to have a believer that's become hardened in a certain way of thinking than an unbeliever that has no idea. Because it's amazing how softened those hearts are. They've never walked with the Lord. They have no idea what you're even supposed to do in church, how you're supposed to dress, what you're supposed to act like, how long it goes, what their expectations are. But, but when we come in with our religious confines and our religious expectations of what God can do and how he can do it and meeting the method and doing it just the way I thought he would do it, man, we limit so much of what God wants to do. It's a yielded soil that says, I receive the seed and I want that to grow and I water that and I care for that. I mean, just as we ministered to last week, the disappointments, the challenges, the traumas, maybe you've had poor experiences with church. We all have. You're not going to go to church very long without some kind of negative confrontation or challenge or, or, or something to take place. It's just not possible. We do the best we can as pastors. We do the best we can as staff and teens. We do the best we can. But we're going we're to miss the mark here and there. Sometimes it's confrontation that needs to happen. And sometimes it's just sinfulness and humanity. I'll be 39 years old later this year. I've been in the church 39 years. I've seen it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. And not one experience has I've allowed to deter me and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Because maybe my belief wasn't in God. Maybe it was more in people than I thought it was. Just saying it's the posture of our heart. To be yielded. And if there's revelation that you feel like you've been shielded from, or that I just don't see that I'm, I, I need to walk in this, check your heart first. Start there. Father, is there something that, that, is there a posture that my heart's in that's eliminating and keeping me from seeing the answer I'm believing for and knowing? Start there. Check ourselves on the inside. Look internally. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.